For those of you that don't know, I'm Charlotte. So I've grown up here since I was playing baby Jesus, five days old, um, to now being 23. Yay! (laughs) Um, So I'm going to do a bit of an unconventional sermon um, about clothing, which I'm sure um, no one's probably been to before, but there's a first for everything. Um, I didn't really know what wearing clothing, but I had never really thought about where it had come from until four years ago. Um, And if I'm really honest, I didn't really care either. Um, But ignorance is bliss, right? (laughs) Um, I've been on quite a journey, so I'd love to kind of share that with you today. We're going to start by, if it's appropriate, everybody taking off a piece of their clothes and looking in the care label, um, if you're able to. And I'd love you to just shout out um, some of the countries where your things have come from. So it should be written just in the care label, in the inside. So China, India... Romania, Cambodia, Vietnam, Latvia. Okay, we can we can all put our clothes back on now. <laughs> China again. So as you can see, um, it's clear that we live in a global community. But how connected are we to the people that bring us these 80 billion garments onto our high street every year? We might think that we're the first ones to touch this bit of clothing when we get it in the high street store, but the reality is that hundreds of people, hundreds of hands have already touched that piece of clothing. For example, one pair of trousers takes over 70 operations just to make one pair. There's over 100 people involved in that process. From growing the cotton, ginning it, spinning it, dyeing it, sewing it. The stories that we wear... Um, all these hidden tales are kind of weaved into them, and the stories that we wear are most likely to have come from some of the poorest people in the world. We live in a culture that has never demanded as many clothing options as we have today. The reality is that people are wanting to buy more and more things because our identity is quite caught up in how we look and what we wear. In an age where the cost of everything is rising, housing, travel, education, food, fashion is the only thing that is actually getting cheaper. Somebody somewhere is paying the cost. I recently felt really challenged about my lifestyle. Am I living in the way that God created me for? And it sounds obvious when I say it, but we're not made to be mindlessly driven by adverts, striving to get more money and more things as a way to create satisfaction. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, I came to give life in the fullest. I've been really challenged to think about, does the way that I'm living reflect something different? This t-shirt costs £1.80 in Primark. Put simply, a t-shirt can just not be made for that price. Somebody somewhere is paying the price for our cheap products. And you can bet that those are some of the most vulnerable people in the world. On average, a t-shirt like this, six pence will go to the person that's actually made it. There are four million workers in Bangladesh, and most of them are women, and most of them are paid some of the lowest rates in the world. For this t-shirt, the factory owner will get five times that amount, and then the retailer will get 70 times that amount. 
I wanted to show you a quick trailer for a film. Um, I know some of you have seen this trailer before, um, but it's available on Netflix and iTunes, and I just think it's the most powerful film, if you have a chance to watch it, just about how our clothes are made and where they come from. So last year, um, I went out to Bangladesh um, and India, and I've been out a few times, but on one of the trips, went with the lovely Molly Bar. Um, and we basically went out to kind of explore the impact of what's happening um, in the garment industry. We went to Dhaka and spent a lot of time with the workers, um, or the survivors of the Taswin factory fire in Dhaka. Um, in November 2012, there was a fire that broke out in this factory. Um, they were making clothes for Walmart and the factory manager told them to stay and when they saw the fire and that there was nothing to worry about and just to carry on working. When one of the workers raised the fire alarm that the clothing was starting to set on fire as well, um, they found that they'd actually been locked into the factory so that nobody could steal anything. The only way out was to smash the windows and jump and over 100 people died in this factory fire. Five years on, there's still been no compensation or punishment for factory owners behind this factory fire. 
And this was a protest that we were um, privileged to go and kind of spend some time with this trade union that were campaigning still. Um, and a lot of the people that were involved um, that were kind of survived that factory fire have been able, unable to get jobs in other factories um, just because factory owners won't hire them because of post-traumatic stress, but they've not had access to any compensation. We also, while we were out there, um, met with the survivors of the Rana Plaza factory collapse, which happened just a few months later. This was a factory collapse that killed over 1,100 workers, and there were over 2,000 people that were trapped in the rubble, some people for up to 10 days. To the outside person, this factory collapse could look like something random, something which could have been prevented, a freak accident. Devastatingly, this tragedy was completely avoidable. Not only did the building have two floors illegally built, but the work has been complaining about cracks in this building for weeks. The day before the building was evacuated, um, concerns had been raised to the authorities about this. And on the day that the actual factory collapsed, workers um, were forced back into the factory with batons. They were told that if they didn't go back to work, that they'd be docked their pay. On the morning of the 24th of April, 2013, garment workers... The factory collapsed. It was a completely preventable tragedy built on the relentless drive of fast fashion. Brands that were making here were Primark, Mango, Benetton, Matalan, CNA. A lot of clothes that you'll find on our high street will have been made there. Um, and some brands are not even sure if they do have production there. 91% of the stuff on our high street, um, sorry, 61% of um, brands don't know where their clothes are made. And 93% of them are unsure where the fabrics come from. That's a huge amount. <laughs> we, while we were out there, visited the site, um, and there was still kind of the buttons, zips, brands, labels in the rubble. I met this lady, Razia, um, on my first trip, who was just in tears the entire time, and I sat and heard her story about how she'd lost her son and daughter in the collapse, and now she'd been left to look after her grand some with like no compensation the most the kind of most challenging part of the trip I think was just hearing story after story this collapse was four years ago now and we've all moved on and we kind of I know for me I, I saw it in the news and was at London College Fashion and was really touched by it but a year later had kind of forgotten um, but for the people that were involved in this collapse this is their every day. Um, and I spent time with a man called Hassan Ali, and he told me on the day of the collapse um, that him and his wife worked in the building. Luckily, they both got out. Um, but he just described what he'd witnessed, and you just can't even imagine what that day was like. Um, he stayed on to actually pull people out of the rubble and was one of the people that pulled somebody out that had been trapped in there for five days. When I asked um, a group of garment workers what they actually wanted, um, what a great factory would look like in their eyes, and they just pushed the fact how much they love 
they like they love what they're doing like they just want to be paid fairly to have a job that is nine hours a day that is safe that is paid over time that they're allowed to join a trade union like that's it it doesn't sound like they're asking for a lot the price of our clothing is costing people on the planet more than we realize in a time when climate change is happening man-made, the production of our clothes is the second most unethical industry contributing to this. As we continue to consume like we have three planets rather than the one that we actually have, it's those living in the most vulnerable conditions who are paying the price. There are literally hundreds of incidents in garment factories where fires have broken out because of poor regulations, where workers are locked inside buildings to stop the threat of stealing, where teenage girls are trafficked with the false promise of a lump sum if they work in a factory, where children are being made to work 15-hour days because they're cheap hire. The list is literally endless of injustice happening in our clothing. There is something fundamentally wrong when we're living in an age where we have the most resources, the most education that we've ever had, and yet people are dying to make our clothes. In this recent story captured by Tear Fund for their No Child Taken campaign, the story of one boy is told who was trafficked from his home in Bihar, one of the poorest states in India, at the age of 14. The men came to his door and said that he could earn £60 a month if they went with him to Punjab. Once in Punjab, he was locked in a factory and forced to work 21 hours a day sewing zips. As a consequence, only got three hours sleep a night, grew ill, and the factory owners threw him out, and he wasn't paid anything. He was making zip jumpers for next. A child trafficked into the fashion industry, forced to work for a slave for absolutely no money. Somewhere in the supply chain of our clothes getting to us, whether they come from Primark, the high street, or even a designer store, forced labour was probably involved in the process as some part of production. 11% of high street retailers recommend that there is, uh, say that there is probably some kind of modern slavery in the production of their garments. A really conservative estimate, I imagine. With the increase in clothing being made globally comes an increase in waste. We are throwing away £90 million worth of clothes each year into landfill. And when we say we're throwing them away, they're not really away. They go into landfill, and many of the clothes that we actually throw away, are non, they can't degrade. Sometimes it takes up to 200 years or more for that to happen, at the time all releasing dangerous toxins into the air. That pair of jeans that you buy for £40 will actually outlive you. I know it's so easy for us to switch off when we hear about poverty and injustice in the world. Believe me, I do it all the time. Because I don't want to hear about things that will disrupt my life or make me feel bad. But this is actually really not about guilt. I don't want anyone to feel condemned with what I'm saying, but I do want us to hear what God says about his creation and what our part in it is. Unparalleled value is placed on human life by the one who created it. The Bible is full of verses where God speaks of his love for what he has made. Psalm 139 verse 14 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, We are the work of his hands, 
John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Needless to say, the entire gospel is full of about how God, how much God loves us that he sent his own son. When we begin to understand the depths of Jesus' love for us, it not only changes how we see ourselves, but it changes, it frees us from our insecurities. We begin to place our identity in God and understand his heart for the vulnerable and enslaved. Luke 4 verse 18 says, To proclaim liberty for those who are oppressed. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me now because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release darkness, release prisoners from the darkness. God is in the business of restoration. He longs to see his creation redeemed, restored. And as we allow him to fill us with more of his understanding about his grace and mercies towards us, the more our daily lives and habits will be transformed as we learn about the injustice in this world. We cannot help but be uncomfortable with the regularity of our own lives. We are called to be different. We are called to bring God's kingdom to earth. In the story of the Good Samaritan, um, it was incredibly inconvenient and expensive to stop and care for that man. It was too inconvenient and expensive for the religious leaders. They passed on the other side of the road. But today, we still need to ask ourselves that question, who is our neighbor? And the answer has to come back to the same, same place, whoever needs it. We want to know the limits of our compassion, who to love and who we can ignore, but Jesus points us to a better way. We must show mercy to those who need mercy and love those who need love. Give service to those who are in need. Today we hardly notice our global neighbours, even though they impact every single part of our day. I don't know if anyone had orange juice or bananas for breakfast this morning. On average, they've travelled over 5,000 miles before they get to your plate. The fingerprints of some of the world's poorest people are all over our clothes and all over our food. We just can't see them. But it's people who carry out these jobs and get this product to us. And they are so important to God. I never quite realised how important they were to God. I saw ethical living as an option for the super keen ones. I love going to church, worshipping, praying, you know, small things that adapt around my lifestyle. But I never really stopped to question whether my lifestyle was keeping people poor. Whether the money that we spend could impact millions of people positively or negatively. It's really amazing what we don't see sometimes. And I really believe that for our generation, this is our biggest blind spot. That generations will look back on this and question how we let that happen. God's heart for the poor and his passion for justice is mentioned over 800 times in the Old Testament alone. That's once every 12 verses. Jesus and justice just can't be separated. His mission was serving, and that can't be overstated. We are called to follow his lead and go where there is need. Justice and ethical living is an area of God's heart and biblical truth that we have underestimated. 
that we can't put to one side and reserve for those who are interested. I want to be faithful to God in all of his teachings, not just the nice and comfortable bits, the bits that challenge us, that question us, that cause us to struggle. I know in Christianity there's a focus around giving and charity and poverty and but we're so disconnected from the decisions that we make every day that actually affect millions of people, our global neighbours all around the world. We live in a culture that is shouting for us to consume everything that we can. But we can't have this Western dream and the Kingdom one, so don't match up. We have to choose. My attitude to the small, inordinary, everyday moments can be so removed from my lifestyle sometimes. But we're called to take these small decisions really seriously. If we want to be Christ-like, we have to reflect him in every area. Even the small, unspectacular moments of life, like going to the supermarket and buying fair trade bananas. We can't just long to fight injustice and help the poor, but our daily decisions as consumers be negative on our global neighbours. The way that we see ourselves directly impacts our lifestyle choices, and our lifestyle choices directly impact the world around us. When we pray your kingdom come, and we we have to consider that we're Jesus' hands right now, And we are called to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And sustainable living is just the start of that. I wanted to share a little bit about my journey over the last kind of four years. I I read an incredibly challenging book by Tim Keller called Generous Justice, where he writes, When we are content with our own lives, we do not allow God to move. To move from thought to action, we must feel some kind of discontentment with who we are. For me, my journey of discontentment started by going out to Tijuana with Amor Ministries. I had my life flipped absolutely upside down. This is a picture, I'm sure many of you have seen these kind of ones before. Um, Gayla, who runs Amor Ministries, um, one night she basically had a call out for people who wanted to commit their lives to working with the poor and mar- marginalized while I was out in Mexico. And I had that feeling, you know, and you can like feel the Holy Spirit moving. You have that thing in your gut where you're like, I just can't ignore this. And she asked people to stand up. And all I could think about was, that isn't for me. Um, that day on the build site, I had ripped my trousers from top to bottom um, I'd hammered two different people's nails into their fingers. <laughs> um, it was safe to say that building houses was not my calling. Um, and I was just about to start a London College of Fashion, and I was really confused with how caring for the poor would link to my career. I didn't stand up. Um, and I was like, God, you're not calling me to come out to Mexico. I don't want to go. Um, And Gayla called out a second time, and a couple more people stood up, but that feeling really didn't go away. It intensified. So she called out again, and she said, there's a girl here that's not standing up. Um, And it turns out you can't run from God. (laughs) And I stood up and just instantly burst into tears. And I knew that God was doing something, because it wasn't like the kind of tears where you can just, you know, like, pat them away. It was like, 
proper ugly crying in front of all my friends, and I thought, this isn't me. (laughs) My whole experience in Mexico was such a beautiful foundation for understanding the fragility of life and the positive impact that you can have on other human beings in the world. I want to thank all of you that have been involved over the years um, in sending multiple teams out to Mexico, whether that's events, car washing, eating cakes, buying cakes, Lester Bar. Um, <laughs> you've all played a huge part in what God is doing. There's something so wonderful about the kingdom of God that when we do something, God does so much more with it than we can ever expect. He uses all things for his glory, and he delights in using our weaknesses for his good. A few years on from this trip, I am, in fact, not a house builder, um, but I am making t-shirts for Amor and all their trip participants that bring justice and fairness to hundreds of people that are involved in the process of making them. God has really stirred up in me a passion to see a movement across the UK for justice and fairness in the fashion industry. I've started an ethical fashion brand called Know the Origin, and we're kind of helping to raise the standards in the fashion industry. At every single stage of production, our items are fair trade and organic, and we use businesses that solely um, have started basically to eradicate poverty or to have some kind of big social impact. It's been an incredibly steep learning curve, but a massive influence to work, a massive privilege to work with some of the most talented people that I've ever met, and to see lives that are being transformed through people being paid fairly, through business being done well, and through people being given dignity at work. In the fashion industry, there's an incredible lack of respect for the environment. In Punjab in India is one of the biggest Um, cotton-growing regions. Often they grow cotton using heavy amounts of chemicals and pesticides on the field, which has been closely linked to a severe amount of um, children being born with handicaps and physical and mental disabilities. In some of the farming um, regions in Punjab, it's reported that there are around 70 children being born each year in each village with these kind of um, handicaps as a result of being in um, cotton-growing environments where heavy chemicals are used. With Know the Origin, um, when we went out to India, we've been able to work with farming co-ops that are doing things differently. Um, We work with Chetna Organic, which is a fair trade organic farming co-op. But they provide farmers with um, training on food security, so farmers grow food crops alongside their cotton also provide safer working conditions, fair wages, and freeze farmlands from harmful chemicals. This means families are healthier and aren't trapped in huge cycles of debt from GM. Despite the difficulties of working in India and Bangladesh, there are so many people striving for change. We work with a factory which is amazing in Calcutta um, called Freeset, and they basically um, work with women that have chosen to leave prostitution Um, And it's a rehabilitation factory that has seen over 500 people um, discipled and come to know God, like through having this amazing business that just creates restoration. Um, They provide counseling and um, amazing jobs in that place. 
I've been particularly inspired um, on the trips to India and Bangladesh by um, a lady called Kalpona. Um, I met her a few years ago, but she left school at the age of 12, um, to, and she basically worked in a sweatshop because her dad had a stroke. Um, and when she was around 14, she um, came across this charity that were doing training programs in the area, and they told her that she didn't have to work 16-hour days, seven days a week. And she went back and unionized over a 1,000 people in this factory, which for a 14-year-old um, in that culture as a woman is amazing um, and just really unheard of. Um, and she basically... Um, yeah, she got fired because she was so good at what she was trying to do. Um, and kind of, obviously, people stopped working all the overtime unpaid. Um, but she then started this other union um, with three other people. Um, and one of her colleagues has been killed in the work that they're doing. They've trained over 200,000 um, men and women that work in the garment industry and what their rights are. Um, and she's been in prison twice um, for the work that she's doing in helping people to become free. She said to me last time we were out here, um, we recorded some videos of her story and testimony that we're going to kind of share through our site. But this was a quote from one of them. Every time that I hear of the struggles, I also hear of the victories. Sometimes the successes are really small but sometimes they're big enough that they give us a glimpse of the change that can come when enough of us overcome fear and speak truth to power. She asked me, she said, Charlotte, your voice is so loud in the West, but yet you're so quiet. I was so challenged um, just to speak up more, the power that we have. find her passion so challenging. She said to me, she said, I know I'm going to die doing this job, but it's too important not to do. She's all in. God places so much value on people, on human beings and his creation. And I really believe that he wants us to be stirred up in our hearts that we cannot help but be curious about the world and our impact on it. I believe that the root change in our lifestyles will come from knowing our identity in God. And that will change, therefore, how we view our possessions and how we view other people and this amazing planet that we are living on. That is where true freedom lies. And that is what can happen when a collective of people change the world and bring God's kingdom. During the last hour, globally, £4.5 million worth of clothes have been purchased. And it strikes me that as consumers that we have an incredible amount of power in our hands. When we think our actions are really insignificant, we may be overwhelmed, but the truth is that the power is in our hands. If we are the people who buy clothes, we are the people with the power. Change is always possible, and I believe even more so when we act together. For me, I think the change has started with five habits. The first one is consuming with a conscience. Starting to think about where I'm putting my money and where my faith is. Seeking ethical alternatives in my daily life. So whether that's buying a biodegradable toothbrush to like swapping into fair trade choices to, it's the little things. And I think the more time we spend thinking about these little actions, the more we realize 
how much there is in the world that it affects. The second one is campaigning for change, speaking up on the high street when we're buying the items that we're buying, not just at a larger political level. In Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. For the rights of those who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I really believe that we shouldn't just be settling for the way that things are, that we should be speaking up. And when we're buying something from a store, if we love buying from Topshop saying at the desk, like asking them, do you know where this is made? The more people that ask stuff in stores, the more that they'll report to the management level, like, hey, we had loads of customers asking for ethical stuff, and then they're going to start providing it. It's what's happened with H&M and their conscious collection um, you can start by looking at things like Fashion Revolution that have loads of resources and kind of links to ethical brands. I think the third one is, um, the third habit is communicating with passion. I really believe that revolutionary, small, everyday conversations change things. And that, that can be from going into your office tomorrow and saying, hey, can we switch to fair trade or can we, you know, like the small changes, just asking questions. The fourth one is actually connecting with the poor, choosing to see things even when it's really hard, being informed, finding charities that we can support and grow and businesses that are doing good things that we want to see grow, supporting them with our time and our money. Um, I've even thought about um, like going on holiday, like can we do holidays in an ethical way? There's loads of like sustainable, cool, eco kind of hotels and stuff coming up. And I think the fifth one is committing our choices to God, having an intimacy and a relationship with God that impacts the poor. In Luke 10, verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. So having that relationship, but then it goes on to say, but love your neighbor as yourself. They're together. It's two things together. And that means loving our global neighbor. I really hope today that I have um, captured even a glimpse of God's heart for justice in the everyday small things. Um, and that you feel challenged to make even one small change. After the service, there's going to be tea and coffee in the foyer. And we'll also have some of our Know the Origin stuff there, if anyone's interested in finding out more. Um, but for now, I would like to close in prayer. God, thank you that you are the creator of life. Creating us a new sense of identity in you. Forgive our hunger for clothes and possessions, God, that are fast and cheap, that cost the lives of so many. Imprint on us your longing for people to be paid fairly and treated equally with justice and mercy, God. Root in us a respect for the land which you have made and the hands that work in it. God, create in us compassion and fairness so deep that it shows your heart for our brothers and sisters who suffer poverty and oppression. Continue to grow in us love, healing, and connection, God. Would we know the power that we possess, and would we use it so wisely, God? 
And let us take what is in our hands and make something beautiful, God. In your name, the one who sees each one of us as precious and unique, God. Amen.